there is a hunger here tonight. There are serious-minded saints of God who want to see the captives set free, who want to see miracles and signs and wonders, who want to see people that are become converted in their thinking and that want to see people who become transformed in their behaviors. And I just believe that because of that, because there's that level of expectation here, that there's just going to be a deep move of the Holy Ghost tonight. Jude, uh, I'm going to go ahead and I'm just going to start from verse 1 again, but my area of focus is going to be verse 5 through verse 11. And um, let's just read the the first part uh, and get our bearings. Jude, verse 1. Jude, a bond servant or a slave of Jesus Christ and the brother of James, to those who were called, sanctified, by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Now, I'm just going to pause and, and because I like to do this and I like to tell you something fun that's fun to know. Jude has a lot of different sets of three in it. It's just a short letter, but there's, there's things that appear in triplicate. Um, there in those verses, you had sets of three. So let's uh, just do it again. Called, sanctified, and preserved. Mercy, peace, and love multiplied to you. So there's something about our minds. God designed us this way. We like threes. We, I don't know why we do, but we do. Verse 3. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly, to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men, who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's, here's where I want to kind of provide our area of focus this evening. Verse 5 says, and this is a very spiritual passage. I know the whole entire Bible is a, spiritual, uh, is a spiritual text, but this deals with spirits in particular. And so this is a very spiritual passage. Verse 5 He says, in light of everything that he's already written, I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. That's sobering. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah... And the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. You might have noticed there's another set of three. Verse 8, likewise also these dreamers, here's another set of three, they defile the flesh, they reject authority, and they speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know. And whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts, in these things they corrupt themselves. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. I want to minister tonight 
as much as I can, as clearly as I can, as boldly and helpfully as I can about spirits of the last days. Spirits of the last days. Can we go to the Lord in prayer all across this room right now and ask the Lord to reveal some things to us? In the name of Jesus, Lord, I pray a covering over this assembly. Lord, I pray and I, I petition heaven right now that there would be a spirit of revelation that would go forth and would move through this room, Lord, that we would be granted understanding of the times that we are living in and the forces that are at work in our world today. Lord, we come into contact with these spiritual things. And Lord, I want us to be discerning and wise over them. I want us to be victorious over them. I don't want us to be plagued or to be confused by any of these spirits that exist in these last days. Lord, I pray that you would bless us, that you would build us up in our most holy faith. Lord, help us to continue to contend for the things that matter the most in these last days and to do combat against these spirits that come against the church. And Lord, we will give you all of the praise in the mighty name of Jesus. Why don't you clap your hands unto the Lord and give him praise as you're seated. Spirits, <coughs> spirits of the last days. The letter of Jude is primarily about the last days. It is about the last days and the false teachers and the influences that are going to be at work in the last days. It says there's an antidote, there's an answer to some of the challenges, the spiritual challenges that the church will face in the last days. The first we ministered about this morning and we received from the Lord about contending for the faith. In the last days, there are going to be contenders and pretenders. There's going to be a lot of contending and there's going to be a lot of pretending. I want to be contending earnestly for the faith. Jude goes on and says, we need to remember the warnings of the apostles. That's important. We are an apostolic church. We receive the teachings of the apostles as authoritative for doctrine and for life. And what they have to say about the last days, we really want to tune into. Because the Holy Ghost speaks to us even yet today about things we can expect to encounter in everyday life. And the apostles tell us what those things are going to be. And so Jude admonishes us to remember those things. He also goes on to say that we need to build ourselves up in our most holy faith. That is to say, we need to take an active role in our own spiritual life. We don't need to pretend as though it's something that's just going to get dropped into our lap, but we can take an active role in spiritual things, and in praying in the Spirit. And then we can keep ourselves in the love of God and focus on the Lord's mercy toward us. In the last days, there are spirits that exist. Spirits exist, and they do not die. <clears throat> One generation comes and goes, passes from the earth, but spirits remain. The same spirits that Jude is writing about to the church in the first century exist in these last days today. This is not a letter of irrelevant, dated material that was only relevant for a particular group of people during a particular period of history. But the Bible is a living word. 
and the spirits that existed and challenged the church in those days. You can count on it that those same spirits exist today. And you can expect to encounter them as you go through life. They are spirits that we must contend against. Every generation must do this. Point at yourself and say, my generation. Every generation must do this. I want to give a voice to Jude tonight and to the Holy Ghost. And I want to identify with him from the passage we read together a few of those spirits that we can expect to be at work in the last days. And Jude writes to us and says, these are things that we already know, that we ought to remember. And we remember them for our wisdom. We remember them to be preventative against the schemes and the wiles and the devices of the adversary. And we also, not only for our wisdom and our prevention, but we are aware of them so that we can positively counteract against them and go the opposite direction. Not just so that we can repel them, but so that we can actively go against them the other direction towards where God is leading us. In short, what Jude is describing here is the shape of spiritual warfare in the last days. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7 during his teachings that we will know them by their fruit. So Jude is answering the question and elaborating on the first four verses that we were in this morning. And he's addressing the question, what is it exactly that we are contending against? We know that we're supposed to contend for the faith. But what is it that we are actively contending against that would seek to put up resistance to your faith? Have you ever faced spiritual resistance in your life? Every hand could go up. Every time that we come to an altar, every time we open the Word of God, every time we receive a word of direction from a spiritual authority in our life and we seek to act on what God is doing, you are going to face a dimension of spiritual resistance. And in these last days, there are particular points that we can expect to receive resistance from. And I would submit to you tonight that these are the spirits of the last days. Let's look at some of these sets of three. I already called them out, but let's look at them. They just, they, they organize well. I've got an, or, I try to be organized. I try to, and, and you know what? I don't try to force things into, into groups that aren't there, but Jude just presents it in such an appealing way that's easy for us to kind of just group together and identify them. So I'm, we're just going to do that if that's all right tonight. There's going to be destinies that are determined. He says that there's going to be three. There's three groups, the first set of three. He says the first is the wilderness generation. The wilderness generation is the group that was delivered out of bondage in Egypt. They had spent generations and generations and generations enslaved Egypt 
in Egypt. And there came a time, and you probably know the story well, where God raised up a deliverer named Moses. Moses came, challenged Pharaoh. God did many mighty works and delivered the people of Israel out of the hands of the Egyptians. He redeemed them. He bought them out of slavery and said, these people that were not a people, I have made them my people. There was a generation. I know that that's like almost storybook to you and me. But there was a generation of human beings that actually experienced that. They experienced the plagues in Egypt. They experienced the Passover, the death angel. They experienced the mighty hand of God parting the Red Sea so that they could walk through untouched. They saw with their own eyes when they turned back the waves and the water crashing over the army of Pharaoh. They saw with their own eyes the things that have become almost storybook to you and I. They lived it. This was the same generation that when they come up to the border of the promised land, the spies that went in to spy out the land, this was the generation that saw them carrying the grape clusters that it took two men to carry. A sign of what was over in the promised land that God was prepared to give them. They saw it with their own eyes. But the scripture says that their destiny was determined by their willingness to walk in what God was doing for them. Hebrews chapter 3 summarizes it for us. Everything I just said. Hebrews chapter 3 says, Your fathers tested me. They tried me. They saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, They shall not enter my rest. There was a generation of everyone that was 20 years old and older, except for two people, Caleb and Joshua. That whole generation had to pass off of the scene before God could do the work and complete the work that he was doing in Israel. Their destiny was determined by whether or not they were going to believe the report of the Lord. They, hear me, they were redeemed people. In the truest sense of the word that they could possibly know during their dispensation of time, they were the redeemed of the Lord. And the Lord destroyed them because of their unbelief. That's sobering. When you slow down and you look at each word in that sentence that Jude writes to us, and you realize, that's a word that applies to me. I was bound in sin, and he brought me out with a mighty hand. He delivered me. He redeemed me, Brother Anderson. He bought me with a high price. I passed through the water. I've seen the pillar of fire and the cloud by night. I've had an experience with his very spirit. I am in every way 
in my dispensation, the redeemed of the Lord. And the book of Jude tells us that in the last days, there will still be those who are the redeemed of the Lord, but who are so positioned in their willingness of whether or not to believe the report of the Lord that they might be destroyed. Don't believe anything more than you believe the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord needs to be the ultimate authority in your life. He goes on and he says the second thing in this category was sinning angels. Now this gets our attention because angels, we don't, you know, I mean, we, we, there's precious little written about angels in the Bible and what is there? We want to know everything. We want to drain every ounce of information that we can out of a passage like this. But Jude says this much. He says these angels were specially created by God, divinely positioned to reflect the glory of God. But there were some who decided to take authority that wasn't theirs, or at least try to. They were positioned for power, but they decided to misuse it. There's a lesson for us there too. In the last days, there's going to be people who have the ability to exercise the power of God. Holy Ghost-filled people, you and I that are gathered here, we have the ability to exercise power and authority in this world because we are filled with the Spirit of God. But when we get out of position and we try to take authority that's not ours and we try to misuse the power and authority that God has entrusted us with, there's going to be a destiny-altering decision that's made in the last days. Jude's writing to us. He says, this is something that happens still in these days. The third example that he gives us in this category, in this section, are the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities that were nearby. I don't think we have to explain what Sodom and Gomorrah was all about. There was sexual lewdness. There was sexual immorality, wickedness on a scale that's almost difficult to imagine unless you live in the year 2022. homosexuality and fornication, those things will quickly direct you to a destiny that you are not interested in. And it happens all the time in these last days. There's another set of three in verse 8. They're, all, they're listed in rapid succession. He says, Likewise also these dreamers defile the flesh. They reject authority and they speak evil of dignitaries. They're given over to sexual immorality and even just sensuality. They're, they defile the flesh. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he said, that our bodies are the temple of the Lord. And sometimes, if we're not careful, especially in these last days, there'll be a voice of the adversary that will tell you, you know, what happens in your physical body that's not really a spiritual issue. It doesn't really matter. It's kind of a minor thing. When the Bible couldn't be more clear that what we do in our bodies, we do as unto the Lord. It is the temple of the Holy Spirit. It is the place where God takes up residence in us. 
It's all we have. It's the only, there's only two parts of us. There's the material and the immaterial. And what happens in the material dimension of who we are absolutely matters. And Jude said there'll be some that are deceived in the last day and they will defile the flesh. They'll stir up emotions that shouldn't be stirred up. There's things online you shouldn't be scrolling through. Hmm? If you're married, there's people of the opposite gender that you shouldn't have that close of a relationship with. It's possible to have not just a physical affair, but an emotional affair. And it's extremely prevalent. And it's inappropriate. If you're married, it's inappropriate. It's sin. I'm, just gonna, I'm right where I need to be. It's sin. Back out of that. Backpedal. If it's someone at work, start backpedaling tomorrow. Stop it. Don't do that anymore. It's inappropriate. It's sin. You're defiling the flesh. You're stirring up emotions that are inappropriate. It's a deception of the last day. It's something that Jude called, he could call out any number of things. But he calls out this particular thing. Don't get in any situation that puts that kind of nonsense in front of you. He says they'll reject authority. They'll even reject the lordship of Jesus Christ. And they'll do so by living self-indulgently. That's the most common manifestation of rejecting authority is just living self-indulgently. No boundaries. I mean, what, what happens when somebody's out of control and the law, the laws of our land don't matter? Brother Turner, they just go, they go wild. They're just out of control. They've rejected authority and they're taking what they want, and they're doing what they... Now, it usually doesn't last long because then the people with the sirens show up. And that gets brought under control. But when it does occur, that's how it manifests itself. Self-indulgent behavior. He says they're going to speak evil of dignitaries. Now, you'd have to go into the original, but he's talking about glorious ones. He's talking about angels here. Let me, let me, he's, he's talking about you ought not speak foolishly about angelic beings. And then he gives an example about Michael the archangel and Satan contending over the body of Moses, which is a whole conversation and a rabbit trail that we are just, we're not going to fully go down that road right now. But it's a good example of what he's trying to say when he says, in the last days, there's going to be a spirit that tries to provoke us to speak evil of dignitaries, the glorious ones, the angels. And let me tell you why I know that's true. It's not necessary when you have contact with the adversary or demonic things or resistance, it's not necessary that you insult them. They have no power. You don't have to resort to name calling and things like that. What did Michael say to Satan? He says, I rebuke you in the name of the Lord. 
They didn't go back and forth. They didn't, have a, they didn't try roasting one another. It's not necessary. You don't have to speak evil of them. You just have to put them on the run and tell them to leave and rebuke them in the name of Jesus. What you do is you counter their activity with truth. It's what Jesus did in the wilderness. <clears throat> Jesus was encounter. He, he come into contact with Satan in the wilderness. Satan is coming and, and, and trying him and tempting him with all these things. And not a single time did Jesus, who is supposed to be our ultimate example, anytime he has an interaction with Satan or the demonic, never does Jesus resort to name-calling or insults or speaking evil of them. He always just rebukes them. He always just hits them with truth right between the eyes, and they have to run. One of the tactics of the adversary in the last day will try to get you to fight spiritual battles the same way we see people fighting battles in the world. All they want to do is run their mouth at each other. <coughs> it seems that's what you have to do to win an election these days. It's not the right way to go about this particular thing. It's probably not the right way to go about that particular thing, for that matter. I'm talking about spiritual warfare. I'm talking about the spirits of the last day. You don't have to speak evil of the adversary or his demons. You have a greater weapon than that. You've got the name of Jesus. You have the word of God inside of you. The lies of the adversary will tell you that what I do with my physical body isn't spiritual as much and doesn't matter as much. He'll tell you that I can reject the authority and live how I want and live self-indulgently. The, the spirits of the last age will try to position you to let your speech go unchecked spiritually and go out into the atmosphere and stir up trouble to, to write checks that you're not, you're not ready to cash spiritually. Stir up things when, re when in reality you can just follow the example of Christ and just put them on the run. You can follow the example of Michael and put them on the run. Spirits of the last days. God's word says that those are things that are red flags for us. Those are things that we can associate with false teaching, with the wrong way of doing things. And he says that those who practice such things will be judged. They will be judged. Here's another set of three. It's the final set of three. These are attitudes that are going to be judged. The first was destinies. The second category was actions. This category is attitudes. Attitudes that will be judged. Now here, Jude does something so helpful. He gives us a biblical person that we can associate with each of these. It's really helpful. The first one is Cain. Cain. Cain murdered his brother out of envy. He murdered his brother Abel when God accepted the sacrifice of Abel and did not accept the sacrifice of Cain. Cain, instead of accepting correction, flew off the handle, murdered his brother, and then tried to hide it and then, by virtue of what he did and what he said, he revealed the attitude that Jude is talking about that's going to be a spirit of the last days. You want to know what it is? Cain said, I'm not responsible for my brother. 
He said, I'm not responsible for the people in my life. And instead of accepting correction from God, he murders his brother, and he, in essence, starts his own religion. He says, I'm not going to do it God's way, even though I've been corrected and been given a second chance and I could fix it and make it better and improve upon what I've already done. He says, instead, I'm going to pull the plug. I'm going to remove the one who's making me look bad. And I'm going to start my own belief system, my own religion, my own way of doing things. He is the originator of a do-it-yourself, custom-built way of worshiping God. How many times have you come into contact with somebody? Or how many times have you caught your own self being corrected by the Word of God? And you come in contact maybe with somebody or some place in your heart that you've just decided this is the way it is. This is the way it's going to be. This is my way. It's the easy way. It's the good way. It's the comfortable way. It feels right. It feels good. Someone who takes this particular attitude does whatever he or she likes, misleads others in the process, doesn't take anyone else's well-being into account. <clears throat> he said, I'm not responsible for my brother. You know, there's a chapter in Romans. It's Romans chapter 14. And I'm not going to go there, but I'm just going to point you that direction. It's a beautiful chapter. It talks about the law of liberty and the law of love. And it talks about exactly how we ought to interact with one another in an appropriate, God-fearing way. And let me just say this as an example of, and you can read it for yourself another time. But there's some things that, I'll just be transparent for a minute, that's all right. There's some things I don't do. Not because I'm not, not, because I'm not convict, I'm, I'm convicted about them, but because you're convicted about them. I'm not saying I want to go out and commit a bunch of gross sin and awful things, but there's things. You read Romans 14, you get a little bit of context. It's just homework. We need to integrate some of, that, some of that stuff that's difficult sometimes, those difficult chapters like Romans 14. If we will integrate some of that into our spiritual life and get our bearings in the Word of God for some of the gray areas of life, it will make you stronger. It'll almost be like a vaccine or an inoculation against these spirits of the last days because there's a spirit in the last days that resembles the attitude of Cain that tries to make saints of God believe I'm not responsible for anybody else. I'm going to do things my way, and I don't really care how it affects anybody else or what anybody else thinks about it or whether it builds them up or tears them down. I've got the license to do it, so I'm going to do it. And the Apostle Paul has something to say about that. It's probably a separate Bible study, but Romans chapter 4, it's delightful reading. It will challenge you in your spirit, and uh, it will help you, and it will build up your antibodies against the spirit of the age that tries to say, you know what? I am my own king. I'm, I am the captain of my own soul. 
I, did, I call the shots. I sit on the throne. I, I make all the decisions, and I don't have to be accountable to anyone. I'm not even responsible for anybody else. That's the spirit of Cain. That's the spirit of Cain. There's spirits. Brother Jake, there's spirits that never die. They never die. Generations come and go. But there's spirits that linger. And every generation has to contend with them. There's another example that he gives, and it's a man named Balaam. Balaam, if you're a note taker, you've already wrote down Romans 14. Check. Balaam's story is told in Numbers. I believe it's Numbers 22, 23, 24. Balaam, Simon Peter has something to say about Balaam in his letter, 2 Peter chapter 2. He says, They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. I'll summarize the best I can, but Balaam's story takes place when people come to him. Balaam is a prophet. Balaam is a soothsayer. Balaam is what they would call back in those days a seer. And the people come to Balaam, and they try to pay him to place a curse on Israel before they go into battle against Israel. And Balaam was in a place. I, we don't know Balaam's whole backstory. The story of Balaam just kind of picks up right in the middle of his life. I don't know what the influences in Balaam's life were. I don't know what the whole life story is. But Balaam's story picks up in such a place to where he's being presented, Sister Natalie, with this payment. And he's saying, if you will do this, we will pay you this. And Balaam, would, Balaam whatever his circumstances in life were, he was in a place where he desired that prize money more than he desired hearing from and obeying God. And eventually, God ends up speaking through a donkey, a literal donkey, to convict Balaam of how his desire for the prize money was blinding him and how it was separating him from the work of God and the work that God had called him toward. The spirit of Balaam says, I'm for sale. Balaam was a hireling who was seeking to profit from his gift. It was not uncommon in the first century, the time period where Jude was originally writing his letter. It wasn't uncommon back then for traveling teachers to teach whatever they could get paid to teach. They would go into a city Sometimes they would even join a church or start attending synagogue or show up at one of the fellowship meetings that they'd have or something like that. And the person may have been a gifted teacher. They may have been a known teacher. And there was, it was not uncommon in those days for those individuals to teach whatever they could get paid to keep on teaching. And Jude uses the word. He says they would infiltrate the church. And they would teach whatever they could in order to receive support and admiration. Paul wrote to Timothy. He, he, Paul wrote about it. He knew exactly what was going on. And he said that in the last days, it's going to continue. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, 
There's the intersection between what we're talking about and Balaam. According to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. Teachers. It's one of the most dangerous spirits of the last day. We've never lived in an hour when there's more information available to us, when there's more voices that we can have access to. Every single one of us could get out our device, we could open a single app, and we could all, all, within moments, have access to a different voice that would be trying to speak into our life. And we need to guard that. I'm not saying, again, I said this morning, I'm not advocating for living in some kind of spiritual silo and getting into some kind of spiritual doomsday bunker that has, you know, 14 foot thick concrete walls and nothing can penetrate it. And, you know, we have to, but we need to be careful. We need to be careful about the voices that we're allowing into our life because there are many in our world today that are taking the same approach to this as Balaam. Spirits of the last days. The last one that Jude gives to us in verse 11 is a man named Korah. 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 Korah rose up in a conspiracy against Moses and Aaron. There were 249 other people with Korah, so 250 total. I'm really good at math. They were Levites, and they wanted to be priests. They wanted to be in the inner, they wanted to be right in the middle of what was, they wanted, they wanted to do what Moses and Aaron were doing. And there was a sin of pride and jealousy and selfish ambition. They charged Moses and Aaron. They said, Moses, you've gone too far. They said, Moses, you've appointed yourself. You're not God appointed. You appointed yourself. You worked yourself into this position. And they would, in essence, say, you know what? I want to be a law unto myself. Korah, that spirit that drives that, spirits never die. Korah and that spirit that says those things, here's what it's ultimately saying. I want to be my own boss. Third John if you're open to the book of Jude, you can look right over on the other page next to it. Third John. Third John, he writes about a man named Diotrephes. He says, Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that I didn't make it into the Bible on those notes. It's not very glamorous. Diotrephes. The one who likes to self-promote. Only God sets up and removes authorities. God resists the proud, and he gives grace to the humble. Korah came against the anointed of God. More than that, more than the persons and personalities of Moses and Aaron, because they are fallible human beings just like myself and all of us, more than Korah coming against the persons and personalities of Moses and Aaron, 
Korah came against the authority of God. Let me hit a rabbit trail. Just make an explanation. All authority comes from God. There's only one sort. This blew my mind when, I, when someone set me down and, and <laughs> explained this to me one time. And it makes sense. I don't know why I just never put the pieces together myself. There's only one source of authority in the entire universe. There's only one. You can't counterfeit it. You can't fake it. It doesn't come out on an assembly line. There's one source of authority in the entire universe, and it's God. All authority comes from Him. You said, Brother Dustin, there's a lot of abuses of authority in our world. Yes, there are. That's not God doing that. Those people are going to have to answer anybody that's ever been in authority that has abused that authority is abusing not a man-made authority because there is no such thing. They are abusing the authority of God. And they will have to answer for it. And when Korah was coming against Moses and Aaron, he wasn't coming against Moses and Aaron. He was coming against the authority of God. He was coming against the established plan and order that God had set up. And it's one of the spirits that we're coming against in the last days. There's going to be things that we get resistance on. We've never lived in a season of world history when we are in a culture that is more anti-authority than the day we live in right now. At least on this continent. Anti-authority. Any kind of authority. We badmouth the government. We badmouth the law enforcement. We badmouth parents. We badmouth the preachers. We badmouth even the people, the talking heads on TV. We badmouth them. Everybody. We get to take a shot at everybody. And certainly, sometimes there's criticism that's warranted, and we live in a system of government where that's allowed, and you're not going to get in trouble. But we've got to guard our mouth and make sure that in doing so, we aren't succumbing to the spirit of the age. We've got to keep the main thing the main thing. It's not about persons and personalities. Let, let me go to another spiritual warfare passage. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against powers of darkness and principalities and spiritual wickedness in high places. Stand with me all over this room. There are things that are happening in our world today. There are things that we come into contact with. Anytime we try to respond in the Holy Ghost, anytime the Word of God is instructing us and we try to apply it and act on it to our life, you can just about count on it. Jude testifies of it, and I hope to give a voice to him and to the Holy Ghost tonight because these last days are full of instances where the saints of God are going to come into contact with the Spirit's of the last days.
Can I put it in the affirmative? Because I don't want to, I don't want to, anyone to think that Brother Dustin's just on a very negative kick. I am responsible for my brother. I'm not for sale. I belong to God. I'm not my own authority, but I am one who is under authority. Come on, there's something that just shifted in the atmosphere right now because everything I just said is at opposition with what the world is doing. Let's put our hands up into the air right now and be sensitive to the Holy Ghost. Why don't you make some of those declarations all around this room right now? There are spirits that are at work in these last days, and we need to not just reject them and push away from them, but there's a direction we need to be going as a church, and Jude clarifies it for us. He says, we aren't made out of the same stuff that the system of this world endorses. We are filled with the Spirit of God. There is God at work in our midst. We go a different direction. We march to the beat of a different drum. I am responsible for my loved ones and for my brother. I'm not for sale to the highest bidder. I belong to one and one only. I'm not my own authority. I'm not the judge, jury, and executioner over my own life. But I answer to him and to the things he has ordained. These altars are open right now. I would that you would respond in the Holy Ghost. I said there was going to be a move of the Holy Ghost tonight. This is a spiritual passage. This is a spiritual topic. There are spirits that are at work in the last days. And every generation is going to have to resolve within themselves, what am I going to do? How am I going to contend?